Welcome to the From Battle to Business podcast. In this podcast, business coach and fellow veteran Dean Van Dyke will bridge the gap between service and civilian life, helping guide veteran business owners to supercharge their business and unlock hidden profits. You wouldn't go into battle alone, and now you don't have to in business. Let's get to it. Well, in today's episode, we dive deep into the life of Steve Leapley, a man whose journey from a Navy hospital corpsman to an entrepreneur and farmer is nothing short of remarkable. Sharing that his story is not just about recounting the past, it's about highlighting the resilience, adaptability, and relentless pursuit of growth that defines Steve's life. His experiences offer invaluable lessons on navigating change, embracing new roles, and finding success across diverse fields. I believe sharing these insights can inspire and guide many of you through your own transitions and challenges. So let's get to it. Well, welcome back from Battle to Business with your host, Dean Van Dyke. And today I have Steve Leapley. Who has served as a Navy hospital corpsman and journeying across 20 plus, yes, folks, that's 20 plus career fields, and has positioned him with ideal philosophies on partnerships, positions, platforms. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So just before we got started, you were telling me about the farm. Some interesting innovations have come along, it sounds like, but uh, we'll dig into that in a little bit. But uh, so in 60 seconds or less, tell us who you are. Uh, well, I was born the son of a man. I, there you I go. Really, Keep going. I, it's, it's, um, I uh, Midwest I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, literally was born in Ohio, lived in Indiana, Michigan, Illinois. Okay. So, Mid-Atlantic states. Yeah. Yep. And then, uh, um, after, after high school, joined the Navy, um, saw half the world ended up in San Diego and, um, been out here for gosh, 25 plus years now and, okay. um, married, got eight kids. Um, have a farm. Have a. I'm on my. I'm on my fifth major career. I'll put it that way. <laughs> and um, and yeah, and a farm, and a farm to boot. That's uh, yeah. So, so West Coast sailor. Yes. Okay. You know, East and West Coast is different, right? Yes, that's why I chose the <laughs> West Coast. I know. I wasn't that smart. Um, <clears throat> you served in Desert Storm, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Yep. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that experience. Um, I actually had a really, really cushy career, military career as um, a corpsman. As a as as a corpsman, yes. Okay. I, um, I I had I I got stationed on places like the hospital ship, and for you know for deployed overseas. So mm -hmm. I didn't. I kind of missed missed a lot of the major stuff, and okay. at, at least at least in country, if you will. And so, um, that was actually, that was actually interesting because for a, a, the longest time I struggled with that because I, I was like, felt like I missed out, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's that part of like, oh man, I, I missed out. I didn't, I didn't do enough in, and, um, and then now that I'm 20 years past, past my time being out, I appreciate the fact that I don't have as much PTSD as, as some of my buddies do and, 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 and different perspective, but, but I, my my wife likes to say I was I was the support person for for everybody for everybody else, but you know that's that's kind of what I did. Yeah, that's I mean, don't get me wrong, hospital corpsman is tough. I mean, I don't care if you're in a marine unit or or not. I mean, I we had corpsmen on the ships, and and I I felt for those guys because some of the cases that were brought to them, they were like, you know, so it's it's a tough it's a tough position. So you left. Uh, so how long did you serve? I served 10 and a half years. 
Oh, I'm going to ask the question I get asked all the time. You only had 10 more to go. Yep. So yep. Tell us if... <laughs> so it was, we, my wife and I just, my wife and I had just had our first, first child mm. and she had postpartum and I had three year orders to Okinawa with the Marine oh, unit. Okay. And this was, this was 1999, 2000. And, um, and that was when, that was, that was when, um, Okinawa couldn't handle, you know, spouses that had any kind of health issues. And so they're like, okay. and, and of course, in perfect military fashion, they were like, well, if you can't go three years with your wife, then we're going to send you one year by yourself. Oh. And, um, and so that, that was the, the crux of postpartum went worse because of that. Sure. And, um, and so I went to go check in on a Friday to, 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 into my Marine unit. And I was a half a pound overweight. And that was, you know, Marine Corps regs were like, you're out of regs, you're out of regs. And there's no questions asked. There's no mm -hmm. anything. Orders were stopped, recut orders to, to, to Balboa. And, um, I, I come in on a Monday morning and weigh in because I'm, I'm a fat boy now and I'm three pounds underweight. And so, uh, for me, it was a, I feel like that was a blessing. Um, ended up getting out on July 7th of 2001. Okay. And I joined a reserve unit because I was like, yes, I had 10 years in. So might as well just, you know, just, just do some reserves and at least get mm -hmm. a little bit of, of retirement. And I spent a month in the reserve unit, went to one drill. <laughs> and uh, yeah, when you go from active duty to reserves. <sighs> the night and day difference, isn't it? It's a night and day. I mean, to the point where I was like, Gunny, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't. He's like, I get it. I totally yeah. get it. And so they let me out. So my official, my official outdate was September 4th, 2001. Oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and I had an easy transition because I, as a corpsman, I was, I was running the, the ambulance service at Balboa was my last, was my oh, last okay. assignment. And so in that, um, I was working with the County a lot and we were kind of transitioning from corpsman running, running the ambulance system to the federal fire department running that system and okay. so so i was part of the training and everything and so in working with the county they had a job opening that really was my job in the civilian sector and for me it was like oh a fifty thousand dollar a year pay raise and i get to be home on the weekends i, I think i like this that's a no-brainer that's it it was a no-brainer it really was yeah that's awesome so as you as you've journeyed um through the you know, the 20 plus career fields, which that's amazing, by the way, what's been your biggest failure and what'd you learn from it? <clears throat> Man, um, my biggest failure would have been feeling like I could do everything on my own. Like I had, mm. like I had all the knowledge and that I didn't need, a, I didn't need a team around me. Okay. Um, you know, as a, as a paramedic, you know, as a corpsman, as a paramedic, you know, there's this, 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 uh, thing of, you know, paramedics kind of walk on water and, um, you know, this, this, the ego that we have, and, and there's an element of truth to that. I mean, there's, you know, when you're in the field, like you're, you're the life or death person sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I never saw that piece of me because, or I would always say, I, I, I used to, I used to invent the water that I walked on. Um, but I, but I didn't see that because the people that I, looked up to were inventing the the elements that made the water <laughs> so to speak mm. so 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 i i never saw how much of an ego i had until it almost cost me everything oh wow and um, okay and that was a that was a 
that was a crazy couple of year journey for me and uh but recovered well and um and that kind of set me off in this on on my entrepreneurial journey and um and and only looked back a couple of times to to get real real jobs <laughs> but um um but that was that kind of yeah that kind of set me off on on a on wanting to be my own boss and kind of set my own schedule and set my own pace yeah that's great i mean sometimes those setbacks lead to a bigger comeback so yes i mean it's it's uh that's awesome so <clears throat> as we were talking pre-show i i I, I, t I told you I took a quote from your from your website, and it says you're the Jim Carrey of ghostwriting. Yes. Now, <clears throat> that's a big character. I mean, well, his character he plays big characters, but so what? Let's dive into that. What does that tell us a little bit more about what that means? Um, I have a knack. I think I have a knack of when I when I help people write books. Ghostwriting. So I used to think ghostwriting was, oh, you want a you want a book on on horses? Okay, here's a book on horses. You put your name on it. I wrote it for you, but you you're you know you go on your happy way, and I get paid. Um, and and there's there's still I would say a, a small percentage of ghostwriters ghostwriting that is that, mm -hmm. but generally speaking, it's not. So for me, it's it's very much a um, it's a collaborative approach. I almost I almost look at ghostwriting more like like book coaching versus versus anything else. Although I, although I do do most of the writing in when I, for my clients, but what it is, is, is like, like Jim Carrey, he, um, he embodies his, his characters, right? So when mm -hmm. he, when he, when he takes on a role, he like really learns, you know, like, like probably, probably the most famous is when he was doing man on the moon and he like just became Andy Kaufman. Right. And then mm -hmm. he just wanted to, he was. And so, when I work with clients and and try to tell their help them tell their stories, I really take it take it like to heart to get in into their mind and and become their personality. And so that as I'm writing, I'm writing as them so yeah. that the story that's told is really told from their perspective and not like kind of my my angle or what I what I think they're mm -hmm. saying, like really getting into an understanding where they're coming from. So how do you get into so Say you're writing a book for for Dean. How do you get into my head? How do you how do you draw? I mean, I mean, I guess you'd just be another voice in my head. But how would you get in? <laughs> how how would you do? I mean, what's you know? And you don't need to divulge your secret sauce. But how do you how do you do that? Um, I, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. Um, one, I have an advanced degree in psychology, so that helps. Oh, um, maybe I should hit hit stop record on this. <laughs> <laughs> I was going a different direction when I got my degree, but it, but it, but it works. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> and so, uh, but then I also just, my years as a, as a, as a medic, you know, answering mm -hmm. calls, you know, you roll up on an accident scene. I've got 30 seconds to make a judgment call mm -hmm. on if, is the scene safe? Is the person I'm talking to sane? Is he on drugs? Is he not on like all these oh, things? Yeah. I have to make judgment calls. Right. And, um, and so I got really good over the course of 16 years making character judgment calls on people. And, um, okay. and, and not in a, not in a, like a, an authoritative kind of way, like I'm judging you, but, but like, I had to honestly perceive and feel like, are what are they, what are they telling me? Are they telling mm -hmm. me the truth? How can I trust them? What, you know, what do I need to glean from them? And so just in, so most of it is, was, the, is, has been that just, just years of experience 
talking to people, you know, and, and, and engaging and engaging with people. Plus I'm like, I, I'm a, I'm a really poor comedian, meaning I don't get paid, but I'm really funny. <laughs> so, but I'm afraid to get, Oh, you're like my bride. <laughs> and she's so, hilarious, but I, I keep telling her she's got to do open mic night. She's like, I'm not getting up there. I, you know, it's funny. I, I don't mind getting up and speaking in front of people, but to get up and, and do comedy, I, I scares, scares me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but just, you know, just kind of like that, like, like I, I, I just want to engage and it really, it started when my wife and I were in grad school and I was editing her papers and, um, and she came to me once with a paper. She's like, Hey, here's a paper. I'm done writing. I need you to edit. I'm like, okay, I'm looking over it. And like, how long is it supposed to be in 10 pages? And I'm like, you have four pages written. She's like, yeah, I'm done. I'm like, you need to have 10 pages. She's like, no, I'm done. I'm like, no, you need to have 10 pages. I know this professor. And, and so she she was like well if you if you if i need 10 pages and you write it and we she writes like she speaks and i write very academically okay and so and so i had to i couldn't just write a paper i had to i had to embody her personality mm -hmm. in that writing now granted it was a little easier for me since i'm married to her but um but e even so you know we're still two different people and yep. but so I had to really like, okay, how would she say this? How would she phrase what she's going to say? And so right. I did that for her papers, um, you know, over, over the, well, probably the last, you know, last half of, of her, of her grad school program. And so, um, that's kind of, so what's her degree say? Is it your name or hers? I'm just checking. <laughs> I couldn't I'm resist. A ghost, I'm a ghostwriter. Oh, that's right. 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 Gotcha. <laughs> No, I mean, it was, it was honestly, I mean, it was, it was, I know I, I would joke about that. She's like, I wrote my papers. I'm like, yes, you did write your papers. I just, I just edited them and made them look pretty. <laughs> That's right. My bride did the same for me. She didn't write them, but she definitely edited them, which basically she wrote them. So, yes. And so, so that's kind of where I cut my teeth on and really like took some of those experiences of, of being a medic and, and in my degree program mm -hmm. into like real world, real world, you know, efforts. And so I was like, Oh, this is really cool. And then I had, I was a copywriter and one of my, my first, my second client, she said, I was just doing a little bit of things for her. And she was like, she's like, I have a book that needs to be edited. She goes, can you do that? And I said, of course. And so it was like my rule of my, my first experience outside of outside of like family or, or outside of myself doing some writing and so okay. we edited edited the book sent it in she came back she's like I, I have good news and bad news and i was like okay she's like the, um the publisher says we need to double the book they like that where the book's going but we need to double it so can you help me can you help me write the 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 second you know can you help me write write more i was like absolutely like this would be great and she goes, okay. I'm like, so what's the bad news? And she's like, we have 96 hours. Oh, and so, and so we took, we took a, about a 50 page book and made it 102 pages, um, in 96 hours. And that was edit, writing, editing, going back and forth with each other. And, and so that was, to me, it was a success story to be able to say, mm -hmm. I can, I can do this. Like, this is, right. this is really kind of cool. And the book came out and there were only like a few, a few edits that we missed <laughs> as, you know, as, you, as you go through and I'm like, Oh, miss that one. Oh, nothing, nothing major, but just, you know, as, as an editor, when you look through your work, you're like, Oh man, 
that needs to be fixed. And so, uh, um, and so that's kind of where I cut. And then I was, I was, I kind of stayed in copywriting for a long time. And then in the last year and a half, um, really shifted into solely doing ghostwriting with books and blogs or, or articles and, um, and really kind of niching down into the veteran community and, mm-hmm. and EMS community. And, uh, cause that's kind of where I spent most of my time. And so, so it was just, it was, it's a no brainer for me. It's, it's really easy for me to, to, to connect and, and become that Jim Carrey character because most, most of the stories that the vets tell I've either done or been a part of, or, or heard enough of that, that I can relate to. Um, mm-hmm. and the same thing in the, in the medical field as well. So the, so I know you've got a, you got a new ebook out unheard valor. Tell yes. us a little bit about that. That is, I, I was working with a client and, and two clients actually that, that hit this on me. One was, he's a, he was a prior seal fire medic and in telling his story, one of the comments they made to me was, was this book, writing this book has been more helpful in me overcoming my PTSD than mm-hmm. any kind of therapy I've ever done. And, um, and I started to think, I started to really think heavily about that. You know, it's like writing is so cathartic anyway. Like if we journal and, you know, you get that stuff out, there's, it's, there's a different energy between sitting in a room with somebody going, so how does it feel when you, when you see that guy's head getting shot off by your gun, right? Versus- How do you think it feels? Oh, sorry. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Versus if you're writing a story, you're like- we were on the front lines and we were walking down and, mm-hmm. and the ambush came in and the people came out and I reacted the way I was taught and the guns came out and I saw the, you know, like there's a, there's a different feel in that. And it's because you're, you're doing it on your terms, mm-hmm. really, even though, right. even though most people go to counseling or therapy on their terms, the questions aren't necessarily on their terms. Right. And so, but when you write, you're writing on your terms, right? You're writing your story with your emotions and your feelings and so so that was something that like kind of clicked with me like ah like these guys need to write write their stories we all have stories and then there was another another guy that i did a book for and he's like i want i want to make 10 copies of my book and give it to my 10 grandkids i just want to tell my story so my grandkids have it that's all he wants to do and uh and i was like wow and so both of those kind of just really made me go you know what we all have stories Mm-hmm. We all have stories to tell, and it's and it's great to to get up and 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 share them. Whether we're, whether we make it as part of our business, you know, overcoming something, and, and we and and we use it business. We use it for just our family. Mm-hmm. Um, we use it on a podcast, you know. But we, you know, there's but to write your story out does is there's something that happens there, and I think when it comes to PTSD and and vets, like we all have stories that we could tell, and I think. Sure. So that ebook is really just about why every veteran should tell their story and, uh, and a little bit of how, how it works kind of, you know, like how, 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 what it looks like to write your, to write your, your story. Well, you got my email. So I expect a signed copy in there by the time. No, <laughs> I do expect a signed copy, but no. So I would agree telling your story. I mean, is very, it's cathartic to write. It's, um, it's healing. Um, uh, as of this year, I re I really started to journal, you know, I've, I've got my question prompts and stuff. And so it's really, 
is definitely a, a tool that I highly recommend journaling. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because I believe it's the National Archives. They were doing the interviews of the World War II vets for many years, telling their mm -hmm. stories and capturing that. And I think they've moved on now to, I don't know if they're doing the Vietnam vets or not, but the, I mean, that is stuff that is, that needs to be told, needs to be heard. And yeah. So what you're doing is just, you know, even though you're, you're behind the scenes, I mean, it's amazing work. It is in, you know, my, my grandfather died a few, uh, gosh, it's probably been 15 years now since he passed away. But at, I remember going back after after he passed away, and I wasn't I wasn't able. It was more than that, but I wasn't able to go back because I was deployed. Um, but when I got off deployment, and I was able to go home, back to, you know, and see my grandma, um, his army uniform was sitting up like behind mm -hmm. the door in in one of the garages, mm -hmm. and it's been sitting up there. I mean, since I was a kid, I mean, I can remember being seven, eight years old and seeing his army uniform just hanging hanging up there forever, and. And, and he was in the, and as I looked up there when I went back and I was like, that's a medic symbol. Never realized that, that he was, oh. never knew that he was an army medic at all. On top of that, I was like, I was like, grandma, like, was, was grandpa an army medic? And he was like, yeah, he was at D-Day. Oh, wow. Like, oh, had I known that, like the stories that he could have told, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and so that again, another, another angle of just, man we all have stories and, and it, it does, they don't have to be necessarily war stories. I was sharing on a, on a veteran podcast some time back. And I was like, like we could write a whole comedy book about strip mm -hmm. clubs. You know, like, like, you know, like, you know, just like, like there's seasons and like, it doesn't have to be this professional. Every book doesn't have to be a professional book. Right. So to speak. You know, it can be, it could be a war story book. It can see story book. It could be a, you know, a, a, you know, something silly like that. And, you know, it could be your overseas things in there's, but it's just telling those stories. Um, because, you know, as we get older, our, our, you know, they become, they become legendary because we don't remember everything. That's, that's what makes them legendary. Is what? We embellish. We embellish? <laughs> you know, I had this one guy, seven guys on me at one time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, that's true. I think, I think it is, you know, um, cause it's, you know, when I still remember the day Saddam invaded Kuwait, I remember exactly what I was doing on the ship. I remember exactly where we were. I remember exactly watching the carrier do an emergency breakaway and head back the wrong direction. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, there are those things that we, that are vivid in our memory. And so that's, I mean, that is, yeah, I would agree. Folks need to tell their stories, especially veterans. Um, so <clears throat> what's one piece of advice you would recommend to someone starting out in your field? That wants to become a ghostwriter? That wants to become, well, even a copywriter, because you spent some time as a yeah. copywriter, ghost, and then moved into ghostwriting. Um, read a lot. I read a lot. And, and I think that's, I think that's one thing that helps, that has helped me be su as successful as I am because I'm just, I, I read. So I, I, and, and I don't read on the computer mm -hmm. and I don't, you know, I, I do a little bit of audio books here and there, but like, 
like physical hands-on reading. Like, Amen to that. With a book in your hand, like that is, there's nothing, there's nothing better than that, honestly, in my opinion. Agreed. Um, maybe listening to music or a really cool movie, but, but books are just amazing because, because it allows your imagination mm-hmm. to, to pick up what's being presented there. You know, if you see a movie, you don't have to have any imagination because it's showing you. Right. But right. if you're reading in a book, you can, you know, even if it says they're wearing a blue suit, like there's thousands of shades of blue, right? Like, like, Oh, maybe my, my vision is a light blue suit. Mm-hmm. Maybe mine's a dark blue suit um, because it doesn't, it's not specific in, in, in the writing, but it, so it allows for the imagination to keep going. And I think, you know, as kids, like, you know, the best kids are the ones that are able to live out their imagination. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's the same thing as, as a writer is the more you can, you can use your imagination, the better you become. And so reading, oh. reading is one of the best ways for that I found, because as I'm reading, I'm either relating to something mm-hmm. if, or, or thinking about something and I'm using, I'm using my brain power to think up stuff. So if, if, you could go into my library and you could tell if I've read a book or not, because inside the book, it looks like a journal because I'm writing and I'm making notes and I'm oh, sure. highlighting and, and, and I'm, I'm saying, Oh, this would be a great book idea coming, coming from, from this. And, and, um, and so that's, yeah, if you, if you get into books and, and just read and journal, that's my best piece of advice. That's a great piece of advice. That comes from, I mean, that's a, you know, if you think about reading, um, I think the statistic is, is most folks hardly read one book a year or something like that. Yeah. I know it's pretty low. And CEOs read like a book a week. Um, Yeah. I haven't quite made it to a book a week yet. So if you've got speed reading techniques, let me know, but I, I'm, I can do two a month, but I've gotten up a week. I've gotten up to 48 books in a year. I haven't hit that mark yet. That would think I think that was 2015 or 16. I, I hit 48 books, um, and um, I I had I had a little bit of a of a lighter schedule, so it was easier. We didn't have, we didn't have the farm yet, so that, that that's uh, like that's like seven extra hours. Yeah, a but day. you got eight kids to take care of that farm. Well, I only have four at home. Oh, okay, all right. So, so I don't. That makes sense. <laughs> so you got four. So I have four. And my youngest is three. So really, I only have three. Oh, three-year-old. Wow, that's been a long time for me. Yeah. My oldest is 27 and my youngest is three. So, Okay. My oldest is, oh boy, I didn't know there was going to be a test. 34. Yeah, 34. And then my youngest is 24. Yeah. So we got one in the middle. Nice. Jonathan must be 27 then. Yeah. See, I got the math right. All right. Awesome. Hey, I, I, I have their, I have their, their ages down. I just don't have their birth dates down. There's one that I always mess up on. I've got the birth dates. It's the, it's when I got to do the math. It's like, Oh, I know that I know there's, you know, specific ranges and everything. And so, but yeah. But, Love so, it. so tell me who would you say has been, the most influential influential in your life and how they impacted you. Oh, you can only pick one. Just one. Mm. All right. I'll give you two. How's that? Okay. That works. 
I can, I can, I can, I can do two. Um, one is my uncle. Um, oh. he, um, from, from both personally and professionally, I think both people actually are, but, but my uncle, he, he was the reason I joined the military. Um, he's the reason I play drums. He's the reason I like music. Um, he just, he spent time with me and, um, as, as I was growing up and, and, and I, so I always looked up to him and I was, I was an only child. So I, he was kind of like, kind of the older brother that I never had. Um, he's, I don't know, he's not that much, maybe 10 years older than me. Okay. Maybe 12 years older than me. He's like, uh, no, he's got to be. So now, now you're making me do the math. No, he's got to be more like 15 years older than me, but, um, but yeah, I just, he, he was the epitome of like cool to me mm. growing up. And he always had time for me, even when his buddies were over and they were downstairs in the basement and, you know, at, at grandma, you know, at grandma's house and playing dark or was it dark crystal, dark tower, whatever, whatever that game is weird, some weird magic kind of game and listening to music and drinking beer and, and, you know, doing everything that they're not supposed to. And, and here I would come down the stairs and, and they just embraced me. And he would nice. always, he'd always like, you know, you know, let me be part of what was going on there. And, um, and so I really appreciate really appreciated that. And still like to this day, I do. And very, very influential, influential in my life. The other person more of, of a publicly or a professionally, I would say, um, is an author speaker. His name's Steve Farber. And um, he wrote a book, um, I think it was 2001 is when he wrote it. It was called The Radical Leap. And uh, okay. it was like a fable, like a business fable. And um, and I I stumbled on that book. I was in a Barnes and Noble and uh, because my last name is Leaply. So I see, I see, you know, I see, I see the word leap and, and it kind of, my eyes are drawn to that mm -hmm. right immediately. Makes sense. And then I get to it and I open it up and it leap is an acronym. And I'm like, Ooh, I'm even more drawn to it because as well, you know, I spent time in the military and the medical field. My life is an acronym. That is true. <laughs> and so, and it's, and they're so easy, to, you know, for me. And, and so that, like, I, I read that book in an hour on an, and a flight from, from John Wayne airport to Oakland it was a 48 minute flight or something. That's a short like that. flight. It's a short flight. I read the whole book in, in, in that flight and it really changed my life as far mm -hmm. as like how I wanted to, to, to present myself personally and professionally. And, um, wrote a couple of just personal papers on, on it kind of, I call them a manifesto, but it was really like, just like what I want to do for my family and how I want to, mm -hmm. how I want to show up, you know, and, and, uh, and so he was super influential and has been, and then I had a chance to meet him. He actually lived in Poway for a while. And, uh, um, and I met him, you know, I, I forget how we were able to connect, but had a, had a, like a 15 minute phone call. And I was like, I would love to just like buy you a coffee and pick your brain. And he's like, mm -hmm. well, if you can come down to Poway, you know, I'll meet you. And so he goes, I'll give you an hour of my time. And uh, I'm like, I'll buy you a coffee. I'll buy you like, I'll, what do you, what do I'll you be want? there. I'll be yeah. there. And so I went down there and I had my, my little manifesto papers and, and showed it to him. And I was super excited. And he, he was like another epitome of cool. Just like, here's this guy. He was the vice president of Tom Peters company for a while, a big leadership guru. And, mm -hmm. and, and, um, and, and yet here he is taking time 
for me. And, um, and again, just like, it was like, this is, I read your book and this is what came out of it in my life. And he was like, that's amazing. Um, you know, and so, and so I've, I've been connected to him now. I want to say that was 2016, um, okay. that I, that I met him 2015, 2016, um, had a chance to do some, some copywriting work with him, helped him on when he launched his, his last book. Uh, he has, he's written four books. So his last book came out in 2019 and it was part of the book launch team for there. And, um, and so it was like, for me, it was like being able to work with like w- with one of your, you know, idols, if you, yeah. if you so to speak, um, that was really cool. And, and so I'm, I am, I'm honored that I get to call him a friend Sure. Know? and, and, and I can call him and I can text him. And I can say, Hey, I have a question and he, he'll respond and it's, it's really cool. And so those, those are the two probably most influential people in my life. I mean, that's, that's awesome because I, you know. It's, uh, it, it only takes, you know, one action, right? Taking that one step forward and look what you did. You, you know, I mean, you had coffee with him, you worked with him on a book. So, I mean, that's, that's great. Congratulations. Thanks. A lot of people are use that fear to stop them. So that's, uh, awesome. So we're about to land a plane. I've got the hardest question for you. Hard one so, now, huh? Are you ready? Do I have to meditate right. first? Okay, <laughs> you might want to. <laughs> All right. So the last question of the day is: Where can my audience go to find out more about Steve and the amazing work you do? Oh well, that's easy. <laughs> um, I I'm hanging out all day on LinkedIn. That's what I do <laughs> when I'm not writing. Um, probably the easiest the easiest place is to, is to hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and, um, and, uh, but, but LinkedIn is probably the easiest and, and fastest way to, to, to hook up with me. And I want to do something too. Cause I, I, with, with the book that I have, um, mm-hmm. I do, I do sell it on my website, but, um, okay. but anybody who's listening here, um, if they find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and, and, uh, or you can actually, you can even go to my website and I think you can, I think there's an, a place to, to email me on my website too. I should probably use that, but I like LinkedIn better. <laughs> um, and just, uh, just send me a DM and inside mm-hmm. that DM, put the word battle. And then I know that they've listened to, to this podcast. I will send them the unheard, the un, unheard valor ebook. Oh, I'll awesome. That's great. That I will. I'll include your LinkedIn, your profile link in the show notes so that people know how to get in touch with you. And um, I was actually looking at your LinkedIn profile today and was reading through some of the stuff that you do. So it's definitely, it's worth the read. I had somebody tell me like, you put everything on your LinkedIn profile. I'm like, yes, I do. You know, because, because I've done a lot and I've been Mm -hmm you know, and I've, I've, I've had the blessing of being able to do a lot. And so because of that, I have a really deep network and, and, and so, and I'm proud of what I've done. <laughs> like, you know, like you should be, I everybody was, should be, you know, I was looking yeah. at, a, I think I have like 25 different things up there on my, for my experience section. And, and I've always looked at that going like, people are going to look at that and think I'm, I'm arrogant or prideful. And I'm like, I don't really care. And then the other day I was looking at somebody's 
at somebody's LinkedIn profile and, and you know, they have like three of the experience section, right? And then it says, however many more. And it says, click here to see the other 250 experiences. I was like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> I think you're good. Yeah. No, it's, in fact, I need to work on my LinkedIn profile as well. We can talk afterwards because I, I have some, I have some thoughts for you on that one. All right. I'd love to hear that. Awesome. So as I always love to do, I love to give my guests a final word. So I will let you take us home. If you're a veteran and you served one day or a hundred years, you have a story to tell and you should tell it. Whether you write it, whether you have a ghostwriter write it, you should tell your story and secure your legacy. Well spoken. Well, thanks. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and I will definitely uh, send folks your way and awesome. have a great rest of your evening. I will. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Thanks for listening. In order to help others, please subscribe and share this show up with other veteran business owners in your network. If you want specific guidance, feel free to book a complimentary call with Dean at deanvandyke.com. Remember, you wouldn't go into battle alone and now you don't have to in business.